This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. My name is Nicholas Meyer, director of Star Trek 2 and 6, and you are listening to Standard Orbit on Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. By golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I'm Ken Tripp. I'm Haley Stoddart. And I am Zach Moore. And back in 2001, there was a special called Mind Meld, Secrets Behind the Voyage of a Lifetime. And this was a conversation between William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy. It went about an hour and a half, a little under, a little under that. And it's the two of them hanging out at Leonard Nimoy's house, sitting in his backyard, going through his office, talking about their lives, their experiences. And I know this is obviously, this is almost 20 years old now, this documentary. And so I had it, and I was like, this is this is a good topic to talk about. This is interesting stuff, because as, as I understand it, neither of y'all had seen this before. Is that correct? Nope. I haven't seen it, yeah. It was, it was a great thing to find, I'll tell you. Yeah, and I think this is probably the beginning of Shatner's slowly, I'm going to become a Star Trek documentary. <laughs> you know, this is the first time that he really did something like this, to my knowledge. And then, of course, he's gone on to do several documentaries, like How William Shatner Changed the World, uh, Chaos on the Bridge, things like that. And the, the, he's become kind of a Star Trek documentarian. And this this would fit nicely on the shelf with, you know, the captains and all those other projects he has done uh and i just found it a very enjoyable uh but also bittersweet and nostalgic experience to rewatch this and i'm looking forward to discussing it with y'all and also of course it's celebrating the friendship between william shatner and leonard nimoy which as we know fizzled out near the end of leonard nimoy's life watching this was really interesting i know we're gonna get to it but it reminded me of a couple years ago i read the book that william shatner co-wrote uh leonard my 50-year uh, friendship with with him and stuff. And if you haven't read that book, I highly recommend it. It's really interesting. Just kind of tells the story of how they both kind of grew up and how their friendship came about and some of the things that were going on with, you know, with the studio and Star Trek and things like that. So that's what this kind of really reminded me of was was that book and, and some of the topics they discussed in this was similar to what some of that book covered. So that was really interesting. For me, it was actually a tough watch, um, not because it wasn't interesting and fun, but it's very emotional. Um, it, the 
Yeah, we, we've been doing this show a long time. We're talking about a, a 50-year-old show, and anytime you can find anything that's that's fresh and new, even if some of the stories were old, the way it's told is fascinating. But I did learn a lot from this. But watching them side by side, uh, you know, laughing, uh, talking about their history, how it all came about, um, was just difficult. It, it really was for me. I, I uh um, I really kind of fell deep into it watching it, and the, and the longer it went on, the more I kind of yearned that uh, they were still, well, I mean, I know William Shatner's still around, but I wish they were both still around and still had that relationship because, you know, they, they had something special, and it just tells you how, I guess, um, how, how fast things can turn around, you know? I mean, it took them a, a, a bit of time to develop that friendship. And I think it was during the movies more than anything else where they really bonded and the conventions really started to ramp up. And, um, you know, it's 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 a shame to see the, the way it ended. However, uh, it's still a phenomenal um, document. Is, is it is it a documentary? Is this an interview show? I don't know what you'd call <laughs> it's it. It's a historical it's, document, Ken. There it is, a historical document. But <laughs> I just like the fact that it's the two of them. There's no moderator. They're going back and forth. And you could just tell right away that they're very different people that had a lot of love and respect for each other. And it was just fun to watch from that aspect. And it just made me yearn for like, well, why, why couldn't have this just happened all the way through? But anyway, uh, I'm, I'm glad you recommended this, Zach. It was, uh, it was something really special. To your point there, Ken, about you know, seeing them together definitely informed the whole conversation about your point about them being very different people. Because... I think a point they keep coming back to is like the different approaches. And we all know this intellectually, but it's, it's, it's interesting to see them side by side. Like anybody's talking about this, you know, about this, all this character and his, his heritage and all this stuff. And Shatner's coming at it for a completely different angle. But at the same time, he did have like, you know, trying to protect the show, a sense of, you know, respect for the show. Uh, they, they bring up the infamous, uh, Itic, uh, uh, problem with Roddenberry when he tried to push on this product. And Shatner was like, I'm not going to do that. So it, so Nimoy points out to him like, oh, well, you you too were protecting the integrity of the show, even the, even if you didn't know it. So you know they're coming at it through these different angles, and I, I throughout the whole conversation, I I thought that was interesting because clearly it, they're they're just very different people. But it's great to see that very different people can become such good friends. I agree. So if you were to to um, to think back, now there's a lot. This is this is almost a two hour long. Yeah, it's about an hour and a half, give or take. So. Yeah, yeah. And so there, there's a lot in there. But was there any particular either uh, – I'll, I'll combine this, right, because I, I know I have it separated, but I'll combine it. Was there a favorite story slash new learning for either one of you that came out of this the first time you saw it? I will I will mention this, and you mentioned this off mic, Ken, uh, so I will mention it so that none of us forget. Um, I thought it was interesting. You know, we know the story of, of Nimoy and how he essentially, he created the character of Spock. It was on paper, just really kind of brief and short that, you know, Gene Roddenberry wasn't quite sure exactly how he wanted Spock to be. And so we know Nimoy really created this, but um, it was interesting when he was talking about when they filmed The Cage versus afterwards when The Cage didn't get picked up, how the differences from Spock in The Cage and Spock in Where No Man Has Gone Before and going forward was based off of Jeffrey Hunter and how Jeffrey Hunter is as an actor. And uh, Leonard Nimoy talks about they couldn't both play nothing. 
And I thought that was really interesting. And so he was trying to do something because they couldn't both play nothing. And so when Shatner comes on as Kirk, Leonard got to play nothing, so to speak. So I thought that was really interesting that he got to take the character and become more internalized, um, which is, I think, what we all love about the character of Spock is just kind of that mysterious, he's not smiling that kind of stuff. And I thought that was kind of interesting. But to go with that was that Shatner didn't think the cage sold because everyone was taking it too seriously and there was no humor. And I think there's humor in it. So I'm wrong. I, I love the cage. But anyway, I thought that was really interesting. So I don't know what would have progressed from that if we'd kept Jeffrey Hunter on and kept Pike, uh, if they both would have continued to play nothing. <laughs> Well, they're introspective, right? That's that's mm-hmm. that's the thing, and so there's, it's hard to play off a a similar personality because the there's no dynamic in terms of it could have great plot lines and everything, but it as we watch Discovery now, it's it's almost um, I, w- I would have to say that Pike is played more like Captain Kirk and less like Pike was at least in the first episode. And we, we both had a, I think we all had a great episode. We were talking about if a Pike show could have been successful. And I think we all said yes, but having watched this, I had a lot of second thoughts about that (laughs) because um, that, that chemistry that they had spawned um, two characters that essentially they were the architects of Star Trek. And without that foundation, the show may never have been as successful and spawned all these other shows. And it's amazing. You know, it's like one little thing can trigger something and then it's, it becomes historic. It becomes, it becomes huge. And, um, it's also one little thing that in a TV series that doesn't allow that spark to go and the show goes away. You never see it again. So if I was a betting person, and maybe we could have uh, Amy Nelson calculate the odds. Well, what the hell do we need Amy for? We got a Vulcan. Haley, you calculate the odds. <laughs> you know, that, that Star Trek would have become what it is without the Shatner-Nimoy, Nimoy-Shatner dynamic. I, I really, now, after seeing that, I think if it wasn't for them, um, none of this would have been successful. And it's it's a big statement, but it's, like I said, it's so fragile. The ecosystem in media and TV is very, very fragile. So I think that... Uh, we're, we're very fortunate that, that William Shatner was cast and that this all happened because all these shows and stories later, I don't think it'd be happening. I really don't. Maybe I'm over the top, but that's how I think. Yeah, I agree. I tend to lean that way as well because so much of why Spock is an iconic character and so memorable is because he's he has such a different personality than just another human with a different look. You know, like he Spock is more than the pointed ears and the eyebrows and a slightly different skin tone and the funny haircut, right? Uh, he his, his whole uh, worldview is different. His whole approach to situations is different, and that's all informed by Leonard Nimoy's performance of you know internalizing and, and playing nothing. I, I like I like the the exchange as we've all kind of said here between Shatner and Nimoy because they're talking. Nimoy's explaining like, yeah, we have two actors that get together before a scene. They're like, what are you gonna play here? It's like, well, I'm gonna play nothing. Well, you can't do that. I was gonna play nothing. <laughs> we can't both play nothing. And so, <laughs> you know, that that would that would have been what the dynamic would have been now with uh, if there was a Pike show number one would have theoretically been that logical quiet nothing person but then Spock I mean it's smiling like like uh, Shatner points out to to Nimoy like yeah you, you smiled in that first show you never smiled much after that and Spock and Spock and Nimoy said no I didn't because it, it felt wrong you know for the, for that character now of course we had many instances we've done a show on it right many instances where Spock does show emotions right and that and because he doesn't show emotions all the time when he does, 
it's far more impactful and powerful, right? And that's something that, you know, I, I think has been lost over the decades of them trying to reinvent the character of Spock. Like, here's here's angry Spock, here's crying Spock, here's singing Spock, here's laughing Spock. Like, okay, that, that works, but in small doses, you know. And then when, when that became, like, the blueprint for the character, that's when Nimoy kind of found it and, and went forward with that. So, yeah, I think it was very interesting that they, they addressed that. And clearly you can see that these guys have chemistry in real life where they're, like, laughing and all that stuff. But they have also on-screen chemistry that's kind of completely different but works just as well, so... Yeah, yeah, I, you know, it's as you were saying, I was thinking the other big show at the time, science fiction was lost in space. And you had, you know, the main character and I'm way beyond remembering names, but you know, I know the Robinson family, but you had, you know, Dr. essentially Smith? the leader, you know, well, Dr. Smith was the bad guy. <laughs> but I was thinking of the actual two leads was just a younger and older version of themselves. They were exactly the same, the heroic Oh, I see. Um, yeah, the dad yeah. and like the lieutenant guy, right? That's right. That's right. And and so you you think about that, and it's like, well, there was there was nothing between them. They were they were the same. One might have been a little bit more, um, you know, verbose or you know, just just youth and immature and all that other stuff. But it was essentially the same characters. And while yes, they made a Lost in Space movie, and I, I believe there's a series today. I've never watched it. Um, I I have no idea. But I mean. It, it really is the difference between what Star Trek became and a show like Lost in Space became because that was the common thing. You know, you just had, you know, a couple of hero types, just like you did in all those cop shows in the 70s, <laughs> right? All of them. Mm -hmm. Like right? T.J. Hooker. Mm -hmm. uh, that's 80s. But, you know, you, you look at uh, Streets of San Francisco, right? Carl Martin, he's the old guy. It just seems like it was old, young, old, young, old, young. And when you had the combination of people that... Um, we're side by side like that. It, it never. It's it's entertaining, but it never takes off. So, I'm diving way too deep into this, but it it is fascinating, and it just it just tells you that, um, you know, the characters have evolved, um, but they've evolved because they couldn't carry it unless they married up into the dynamic that these two had. Yeah, and I guess to wrap back around your your question about most insightful or new or memorable story you heard from this, I thought it was interesting. Uh, and then this can kind of dive into its own tangent of our conversation. I thought it was interesting when they started talking about the other cast members, because obviously, you know, Shatner notoriously has had issues with all of them forever. Uh, yeah. More one sided on their side than his side. Uh, Nimoy has always had the respect of the supporting cast. And uh, at, but but however, that they start talking about this and how do we relate to the other cast members? How do they feel about you? That kind of thing. You know, and and Shatner just kind of lays it out like, look, you know, you, me, and D. D. Kelly. You know, they they actually speak quite fondly of DeForest Kelly. That they actually at the end, it there's a title screen that says in memory of D. Kelly. So they talk very fondly about him, especially at the end. You know, and Shatner says that his passing was kind of the beginning of the end. You know, <laughs> you know, it's it seemed, or or maybe Nimoy said that. I'm not sure, but when they're pondering their own mortality, they they talk about the passing of D. Kelly. But anyway, he's in his own category. But as Shatner explained it, like, look, you, me, and D. We were there every day, friends, working almost in every scene. And then, you know, everybody else would show up maybe one, maybe two days a week, come and go to their lines. And that was it. And then they started doing these conventions and they seemed to start thinking they were the stars of the show. <laughs> and he's he's absolutely correct. Like, that is exactly what happened, I think. And, uh, you know, and Nimoy actually says he has a story about he doesn't say who it is because Nimoy being the gentleman, he's the one to like throw people under the bus or call them out. But he's like, yeah, you know, I was just leaving the set one day and I say goodbye to somebody and they completely ignored me. And then the, I saw him the next day and I was like, hey, I said body last night. You didn't 
respond why not he's like oh well you want to know why not and apparently the, oh, whoever, wow. this, whoever this actor was went on some <laughs> yeah. brand at him he's like oh maybe i shouldn't have asked right so it just shows that you know maybe things are not as always as black and white as we may have seemed and i think you know nimoy tried to kind of talk shatner through why he felt the way he did about these guys and ultimately shatner's just like look i i don't think about th-. like he, he has been pretty consistent on his take on this like <laughs> i don't think about them they were there great whatever i don't know them and Nimoy always is just more like the harmonizer of the group, right? Um, yeah. He was like, well, you know, our interests are different. We don't spend time together, you know, near as much as we used to. And you know, as opposed to Shatner and Nimoy, who at the time would, would do a lot of things together professionally and personally. They have similar interests. They do similar things. So they're just together a lot more. And, and that friendship has kind of grown and evolved. And over those, you know, at that point, 30, 35 years, as opposed to everybody else. So I thought that was a, just a very interesting um back and forth between the two of them talking about this subject because usually the conversation is everybody hates Shatner, everybody loved Nimoy, end of story, close the book, whatever. And it was to, to see them have a dialogue about this was interesting, I thought. Well, I think that goes to what uh, Nimoy had said earlier about how, you know, he saw everybody that was on set, everybody that was part of filming, the actors and the writers as family. Oh, yeah, that's a really um, good point, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that, you know, that's he saw him as go, that. Yeah. And, and Shatner didn't necessarily agree that he saw it that same way. And so I think that lends to why there was probably a little more animosity with with some of the actors who necessarily weren't there every day and why – Nimoy was like, well, you know, I'm trying to say hi to these people, goodbye, have a good day. You know, he he was reaching out to them, even though they weren't there every day, was because he saw this as a family, because this was his first time really having a consistent acting job. And he was 35. And so I think that kind of lends to why, you know, Shatner was like, you know, he was almost like, oh... I don't know if it was indifference or, or what it was on his part of like, oh, I never saw the animosity. I never noticed it. And I'm like, hmm, I think you did. You're just not wanting to say anything. But I think that's why is, is or at least part of why is because Nimoy very much saw this as family. And even the actors who were there just for a day, you know, during the week, you know, guest actor on the episode kind of stuff. So I'm wondering if that's part of that. But I did think it was really interesting how Shatner was just kind of indifferent to it. <laughs> yeah. But what animosity. Yeah. yeah. I, I, well, it, it was interesting. The, the way it was framed, it, it's funny, contextually, the way um, Nimoy described it. It was a lot, when he was, the piece I saw that really centered on that uh, family aspect had to do with the fact that the studios rented as a business mm-hmm. and he was looking for everybody to kind of come together and we have this great collaborative show and you know we're, we're we're big stars on the outside and on the inside we're quibbling over whether i get a phone in my dressing room and i i was that was the first time i learned that he had to go to therapy yeah. during the beginning of the show during the making of the show i'd never heard that before and that um you know he, he didn't get and it was just to to verbalize his frustration and understanding why the studios treated them a certain way and you know it's uh, he had a very um childlike naive view of business when you think about it yeah because it was his first his first rodeo his first big one anyway and then nobody became 
a bigger shark than Leonard Nimoy. Yes. <laughs> Nobody. He did a full it was, yeah. <laughs> oh, when he learned the formula, he's like, okay, you know, this is how it's done. Okay. Now we're going to play. And, and he negotiated the heck out of everything, lawsuits. Um, he, he was like, if this is the way it is, then this is the way it is. They don't really get into that so much. They talk about right. some of the things, but I'm just saying they don't talk about the turn. And, um, you know, in my opinion, you know, you've got, you know, Shatner's like the, the guy who, who shows up to work every day. He knows what to do or whatever, but it's work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's he's yeah. in there. He has a good time. He respects whoever he's around and all that stuff. But they're not his buddies or his friends or whatnot. And he, he comes in, does his thing, you know, and, and then that's it. You know, he's like, you heard the stories. You know, I'm in limos. I'm doing this. I'm doing this on weekend. He's right. he's he's off and running. Um, so I just find that, that whole piece to be interesting and felt kind of sorry for, for Nimoy in the beginning, but then that completely turned. I mean, the way the studio treated them, which was business 101 and, you know, it's almost like they knighted Leonard Nimoy into the ultimate, um, negotiator, business person, um, you know. Nimoy just he like I said he became a shark they they, yeah. they, they could not mess with him at all I, I found that to be incredible and that kind of uh, frames it you know the, their opening statement is they're in Nimoy's backyard and Nimoy's talking about how he, how he used to be a cab driver in that neighborhood and yeah. how, you know he was just struggling he was just trying to support his family uh, as an actor and he was just taking odd jobs maybe his longest job was two weeks at a time and of course Shatner's like well that never happened to me you know <laughs> like like he was like, yeah. The the obvious he he avoids the obvious joke because Nemo's like, well, why was it difficult for me and not for you? And Shatter's like, well, beside the obvious, and it was kind of a joke. there. <laughs> that was great, uh, though. I thought that, but that's so Shatner, right? And I think like there, that's such, that's such pure Nemo and pure Shatter talking about things here, <laughs> and that really informs it too. And you're right, it, it's it, it is a sad reality to we all. You know, and they mention this to themselves, like, oh, you're the fans, they see they see this family on screen, they want to think like it's a family behind the scenes and everybody's a big camaraderie and, and the harsh reality is they're they're counting the numbers, the studios, like the bean counters back there. What are the ratings? This guy, will he get featured more, we get better ratings, let's move him out, let's move him in. Like it's a cutthroat industry. And yeah, this and this is the first time I had kind of learned about Leonard Nimoy's naivete, and then of course the one eighty turnaround is interesting. You should you should really read that book I mentioned, Zach, because it really does talk about more, um, goes into what Leonard would do and and the things that he asked for and his arguments with Gene because of Gene using his image on things to sell things and stuff like that. It really goes into that, and it's really quite interesting. Well, his own his own book too. If you've read I Am Spock, Nimoy he he doesn't pull any punches. He tells you. Exactly what went on during um, from from Star Trek on up and his fights with those guys. Uh, It's intense. It's intense. I have a question for you guys. We know that, you know, Shatner and Nimoy, they were they were friends, you know, and and obviously they're still in their friendship. But at the same time, I don't know if you guys picked up on it, but there almost was a little bit of still like competition and more coming from from Shatner on in this. And like, you know, Leonard would pose a question to him and he would just kind of dodge it and not really want to answer it and give kind of like a funny response. But I thought that was already interesting because we know that they were competing Leonard got way more fan mail <laughs> than Shatner did um, during the filming of of TOS. And so I don't know if you guys kind of picked up on that, but I still kind of like saw like 
little bit of competition, even though they were friends. I didn't necessarily see that per se. I just think that's the way Shatner answers things. You know, I mean, he's like, oh, what's a good one liner I can come up with here? And, you know, he he sees every question as an opportunity to, to tell a funny story. Or or get a laugh, right? As and he makes Leonard Nimoy laugh pretty much with every response as well, so it works. So I don't and he plays it up for the camera as well. Obviously he knows this is being filmed. So I, I, I think I didn't I don't see that there. I know it like looking back, right, in retrospect, you're like, Oh, you're trying to trying to see hints of, you know, where the <laughs> where it might have all gone wrong or something like that between the two of them. But I don't I don't necessarily think that was the case, at least at this at this point in time. Well, I, I think that um, the people with the biggest egos don't realize they have the biggest egos. Mm-hmm. And that is that is Shatner 101. I mean, he's funny uh, in, in that respect. Funny, strange. But, uh, you know, you're Haley, you as a psychologist. And to me, you know, reading Shatner and his body language and his responses to things is, yeah, this guy is so fly by night. You know what I mean? He, he's he's um, he's having a good time. He's the cool kid on the block. Um, and it, to me, I, I always get a kick out of people that have huge egos that are trying to pretend they're grounded and Shatner, yeah. can't, Shatner can't pull it off. And now, you know, it wasn't long after this interview where Shatner, just like Nimoy, you know, went from kind of the guppy to the shark, um, you know, Shatner then became very self-effacing. He wasn't as much a self-effacing guy, even in 2001, but when he started doing Boston legal right. and, and the doing different shows, guy. Yeah, all all of that stuff. He started to, you know, I think he realizes, as we all do as we get older, um, it's a little harder to be macho and, you know, to to have um, everything you had when, you know, when you're in your your 20s, 30s, 40s, and maybe to a degree into your 50s, I'll I'll let you know. But um, (laughs) it's it's one of those things where I think, you know, it it all came about. But at that point, and I think, you, you know, competitiveness maybe but i still think it was more shatner's just like why are you asking me this you know i mean isn't it obvious mm-hmm. i mean you know he's he was you know the, he's sitting there with with his good friend and they were the stars of star trek but shatner i'm quite certain still and will always see himself as the star of star mm-hmm. trek well and that's the thing i think you know part of the reason why i i mentioned this is you know i i very much am a a, a, a reader of people. I like to just sit and watch people and, and whatnot and pick up on little things that most people wouldn't notice. But, you know, he was talking about still looking for that success. Mm, chasing and, it, and, yeah. You know, okay. chasing it and going after it and, like, still wanting to, like, make it big. And I'm sitting here thinking, <laughs> you were in a TV show <laughs> that, yes, maybe wasn't super super huge at the time but look what's come after it and you've done how many movies because of this like i'm sure that's pretty big you know and and so that was just kind of why i was like this is interesting that like leonard nimoy really felt that he made it and he was very content you know he was talking about at the end being philanthropic and giving back and and then shatner in comparison is still talking about like well i've still got to go and i'm going to go do this show and i've got i've got this show and i'm going to be here and i'm going to be in new york and houston and he mentioned houston oh shout out to houston yeah (laughs) and i've got to find that big success you know in comparison to nimoy and like he was very content with where his life was. He didn't feel that he still had to go and, and find that next big gig and that he hadn't necessarily made it because he was very much in that I'm going to give back and I'm, I'm love my artwork and I'm doing this. And, 
and everything. And so it was just really an interesting, different dynamic between the two. And so that's why it was just kind of interesting for me. Yeah, that, that's, that's a great observation. And uh, you're, you're spot on connect correct when you talk about Shatner. He is a, is there, you tell me, Hale, is there such thing as a triple A type? Because we know A types, but this yeah. guy at at almost ninety years old is still looking, you know, for that pinnacle. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I think he's just um, extremely um, competitive by nature, but competitive yes. with himself, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that that that's kind of the thing for him. Um, you know, TV star, and remember, there was there was a big difference between TV stars and movie stars. Mm-hmm. And then his TV star was the first one to become a movie star. That hadn't happened before. You know, an old show being drudged up, and mm-hmm. and, and now they're on the big screen. Now they're making movies, and then he was back to TV, and then back to. To me, it's just you know, it, it, he. I would love to see a um, somebody who was really close to Bill, like it. I would never, you know, I wish Nimoy had written a book about Bill. Yeah, it would have been that would have been interesting, fascinating to read. Exactly. Right? It's just what it just just from his perspective, because we have Shatner's perspective on Nimoy. We have Shatner's perspective on everything, really, and we have, <laughs> you know, we, we have the um, the crew's perspective on Shatner to infinitum. You know, I mean, you know, I, I, I I'm trying to think of um, some. Some some character that that you know, what's the term below the line um, that has actually been able to write a book about their experience and you know has made money off it and I mean the the entire um, cast of Star Trek the original series have all written books for the most part uh, and and have all made money off that uh, I'm talking about you know the secondary characters for lack of a better term and that's amazing to me it's amazing to me that would never happen and and Shatner's still like. Phew! He's still, he's where he's at because of him. I mean, he just, he's like a bull. He will not stop. And that's what keeps him going. You know, that complete, the continued chasing of, I don't know, past success or desired success or his idea of what success should be. Like, that's why he still does everything that he can possibly do. Uh, yeah. That kind of keeps, keeps the wheels going because he, he thinks that as long as he's booked the next day, as we've said on this podcast many times, as long as he's got a booking, he's going to make it and he's going to live that long. And especially as he gets older and older, you know, and they talk about mortality at the end as well. So I, I think that definitely all ties together. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, he's, you know, it's like the millionaire who's like, I haven't made it yet because I'm not a billionaire. That's him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I want to speak about, it was interesting to hear them talk about Gene Ronberry and then Gene Kuhn a little bit on the side because they started talking about their experiences on the show and uh, and and again just to kind of show the differences between them like they talk about how Leonard had to spend you know, two to three hours of makeup every day Shatter's like yeah I came in for like 15 minutes and got my powder cracked a couple jokes then I was gone <laughs> that's that's so Shatner right and then I think they, they mentioned one like because uh, they were tar- talk they started talking about do you remember us like having the conflict on the show and they didn't really get into it you know obviously they were rivals uh, to your point Haley they were they were kind of professional mm-hmm. rivals at the time they don't get into yeah. that whole thing very long but there was a specific story that uh, that Shatner did recall like he like there was going to be a reporter coming in and to the makeup room and Shatter didn't want him in there, and Leonard was annoyed by that. The fact that Leonard's the one who's always in there, and this guy's in here for ten minutes a day, and he's going to call the shots. And they had some conflict about that, so I thought that was interesting. And then another another time, speaking of like reporters and promoting the show, 
you know, Leonard Nimoy is was, was selling the show as a very philo- philosophical, deep. We're talking about <laughs> issues. We're talking about, you know, this and that. And, you know, the reporters come in, to, like, watch a scene or something, and it's the scene from The Man Trap. And Nimoy's like, I'm sitting on this bed with this green blood dripping down from my forehead. And he said, and you come in and you say, Spock, what happened? It's like, Captain, the monster got me. And it's like everything <laughs> I had said was completely negated by them watching that scene. So I can understand why, because they, both of them, Shadow and Nimoy have both said, like, yeah, Man Trap, kind of a disappointing first episode. And in retrospect, I, you know, I like it. I think it's a solid episode. It gets a bad rap. But I can see why it was kind of that monster of the week formula. And they completely undercut what they were trying to do, which, which was redefine what science fiction was in the 60s. So I can see why they'd have that stigma, especially for them at the time. Definitely. That was a good story. And, yeah, uh, it was. <laughs> it was <laughs> I, again, that was another one I had never heard before either. Yeah, same here. You know, yeah, yeah. And, and it's just, yeah, there, there's nothing worse than when you're trying to use something as an example and it just doesn't come <laughs> off too well. But talking about uh, talking about Gene Kuhn, you know, Nimoy has always gone out of his way to mention Gene Kuhn and, and how uh, even in like other interviews and special mm-hmm. features and other DVDs and whatnot, uh, how Gene Kuhn was such a, such a pillar of Star Trek. And, they, you know, uh, him and Shatner both say like, yeah, Roddenberry, like he wrote like four episodes <laughs> or something. But but he was good at like like breaking the package and then other people kind of pick up around with it. And Gene Kuhn, they mentioned, you know, created the Klingons and he was always like. The guy, the typewriter typing away, and Nimoy talks about, because they were talking about disagreements and stuff, and Nimoy talks about how he had a disagreement about something that they wanted Spock to do in an episode, so he went and he talked to Gene Kuhn about it, and Gene Kuhn was like, get out of here, just go read the lines, you're just an actor, right? That, that kind of vibe, that's the vibe he got. And then he got a phone call from his agent. Nimoy got a phone call from his agent saying he'd be sus- suspended, and Nimoy was like, well, I kind of had a big head at the time, so I said, hey... Does that mean I get to go home right now? Or <laughs> it's, it's just a funny story. And then Roddenberry calls him and says, "You're not suspended. We're gonna figure it all out." And and Dean Boy, you know, internalizing it, right, uh, was like, "I felt bad about that because I felt like Gene Kuhn had been offended, and I was just looking out for you know the the best possible thing for the character that I knew, and I felt bad that Gene Kuhn felt I was like attacking him." As opposed to, you know, as we're talking about Shatner, if Shatner had done that, he'd be like, well, I didn't know anything was wrong. I just, you know, complete, <laughs> complete obliviousness. But, but Nimoy really does kind of internalize this stuff and, and takes it to heart. Uh, empathy and sympathy and that kind of stuff that he emanates, that kind of stuff. Even when he's being kind of he's looking out for himself because he's representing Spock and he knows how Spock should be and that kind of thing. But at the same time, he didn't want to ruffle any feathers. He just wanted he just wanted his voice to be heard and to be known. So I thought that was a, a a story that I had not recalled either. So the, lots of little nuggets here because you think you, you you hear something like this and you're like, what are they going to talk about? The same five or six things we always hear. Da 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 da. And there was a few of those stories, but again, told in entertaining ways because it's the both of them talking to each other. There's no moderator, and we get these fun nuggets that you know are kind of lost stories of Star Trek from these guys. Hmm. Did you, did you get did you get the impression too that prior to this whole thing started? That there might have been somebody with a card or whatever to to help the prompt triggers. <laughs> yeah, well, no, not more for Shatner, right? I I remember very um, well a long time ago in the eighties during the conventions, um, Nimoy would say he remembered everything from the making of the series. And of course, when you're a lot younger, time has a different meaning. And so, even though the show hadn't been made in twelve or fifteen years. You know, I, I look back and I say, well, 12 or 15 years isn't that long ago to me. It seems like yesterday. You know, as you get older, that, that, that dynamic changes. And so back then I was like, yeah, how do you remember things from 12 or 10 years ago? And Nimoy was always like, I remember everything. 
And Sharon was like, I don't remember anything. (laughs) So in order, you know, in order to do this interview or whatnot, I, I, you know, I I could definitely see them pulling up different stories that they had told for years in the conventions. Um, And Shatner being fourth, I was like, I don't remember the name of the episode. And, you know, and then, of course, Nimoy's like, well, devil in the dark or whatever, you know, just just Mm -hmm. that that back and forth. And so I I got the feeling that um, there were some stories prompted with um, probably someone off camera. (laughs) Yeah, just well, yeah, in prepping for this thing uh, to make sure that that it was successful because. Nimoy wouldn't have skipped and he didn't skip a beat. And you could tell by some of the answers and some of the, the stories they were telling that uh, for Shatner, it was a little bit more, uh, yeah, you know, I sort of remember this. I sort of remember that. Doesn't say it that way, but he tells it that way. That makes sense. Yeah. And even talking about the uh, motion picture, you know, they talk about mm. how that was a difficult production. And and I, I think I had heard variations of the story other than other documentaries or interviews or in other books, but you know, they were they kept trying to him and Nemo, Chad and Nemo kept trying to interject some energy and stuff into the film and and they mentioned a couple of times where they had and then uh and and to your point, Ken Shatner can't remember what the pitch was, but apparently he had some great pitch for the end of the movie. Yes. And yes. he's like, Me and me and Nemo, we, we worked it out and we presented it to Robert Wise and Robert Wise said, I love it. Now go present it to Gene Roddenberry. And Shatner's like, I don't know if it was because it was late in the day or you know, we go and yeah. we present it to Gene and and he didn't like it and we didn't do it. And, you know, and, and they were kind of still intimidated by Roddenberry because it's like because even Nimoy's like, yeah, we, we are telling you, the creator of Star Trek, what we should do with Star Trek. So I, I, I would love I wish someone would have remembered what that ending was. I would have been very interested yeah. to know because because they seem very enthusiastic about it, even if even if they can't remember what exactly it was. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I thought that was interesting that they, they play acted it. You know, by the time they did it the third time, they were like out of gas. Yeah, the per- yeah, the performance just wasn't there, so the the <laughs> the cell wasn't there. So yeah, that that would have been interesting. I I think if they were more focused on helping the middle part of the movie, it would have been, <laughs> would have been okay. The ending was fine. I don't know what they were really trying focused to change. Focused on there. the wrong part. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great surprise ending for me at the time. But yeah, anyway, that 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 is funny. But um, you know, I guess I guess for me, um. You know the last the last real interesting part was the whole therapy. Uh, I know we, we brought it up before, but boy, when I heard that, that still that still rocks my world a little bit. That uh, mm-hmm. and and you know you, you hear about people that are in great shape, um, they they do well, but they internalize everything, and um, you know stress and whatnot. It kind of catches up with you. And, you know, they they have a lot of health problems and, you know, they die young, so to speak. Like stress is a bigger killer than people realize. And knowing that, I find it interesting and also understanding why Shatner is almost 90. I, I get it. You know, the guy just lets everything roll and you have Nimoy that internalizes and um, contemplates and worries about and cares about all these things. Uh, it, it's just to me, it's just the the dynamics between these two uh, are. I, I don't know. I, I you know, like I said, that's why it was so hard to watch this damn thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I I, I really I, I really just uh, there was just parts of that. I don't know if you guys felt the same way. You just wish you were there just to give him a hug. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, and then at you know two minutes later, you're you're laughing yourself to tears, which um, I, I I don't do as often as I used to, but uh, you know it was it was like wow, this is this is pretty funny. But well, they get um, into some heavy topics here. They, and obviously they do. The, the therapy yeah. you're talking about, and then also Shatner's wife who had drowned yeah. and died. That was uh, fairly recent then. Too, yeah, yeah, at the time it was only a few years before, and and Shatner explains he's like, 
I, I never understood, you know, because she had a problem with alcohol. It's like, I never understood this problem. And then I realized, like, how I felt after she died was how she felt all the time without, you know, it, it, is the alcohol the only thing that can solve that? And I thought that was, you know, it, yeah. introspection from Shatner, which was interesting to see. And you think about that because they, they talk about how addictive personalities, right? Nimoy was an addictive personality and Shatner was not, which was an interesting. You'd think the opposite, right? I mean, it just me, look at the two and you see like kind of how they are because they talk about the smoking and how Nimoy was ever, never able to kick the smoking for, for, for years. He didn't quit till the eighties. And that's unfortunately what did him in long term. And, and, you know, to get dark a little bit, you can hear him coughing a lot during this. And I'm like, Ooh, that's the, that's the disease kind of setting in. But Shatner, you know, he just quit cold turkey because, you know, he, he didn't like the fact that his daughter's like, oh, you smell. And, you know, he's like, I want to be able to hug and kiss my daughters and I'm smoking. So I'm just going to stop smoking. And Nimoy could never do that. And uh, and then talking about the demons that he was fighting, like uh, Nimoy tells the story, like he heard Shatner yelling in some soundstage. He's like, I want a cigarette. Uh, but but he he respected that he was fighting the demons, you know, that. And so just to hear these guys comment on each other like that. But yeah, with this some. Yeah. As you said, can you're, you're laughing with them and then like it gets it gets like really serious for a while and it feels organic. It doesn't feel like manufactured. Like I feel like these guys are actually telling what they say, not just like clever sound bites. So. Yeah. And it's it's it is interesting when you take a look at maybe the characters that they played and to a degree, the actors themselves that. You would think that William Shatner would have more of an addictive personality. Mm-hmm. But that fact that he lets things go and he doesn't internalize things and keep things in, it's, it's part of it. You know, some people, it really is oddly uh, a genetic thing, this addictive personality. Shatner talks about, you know, he grew up and there was alcohol in his home, but he never, ever really considered it. And then Nimoy talks about, you know, he would have a drink here or there and then it really started to set in and he would have a, you know have a drink on set as soon as he was done filming and there were times where he didn't remember the drive home and he would start drinking at 11 and be passed out at four and and it's really interesting to take a look at you know what what causes you know and why are some people do they have that addictive personality and it's harder to let things go you know it's it is sad that it was later in life when he finally realized that you know, these choices weren't healthy, but I think a lot of it was probably, you know, some coping mechanisms. Leonard, you know, he, he didn't have the success. He wasn't as well known of an actor as Shatner was come TOS. And, you know, he worked a lot and he had to do a lot of jobs and he was stressed about, am I going to make enough this year to, you know, raise my family and keep my family and everything. And, and he talks about not being able to let Spock go at the end of the day and filming came and Spock went home with him. And he, you know, his kids probably resented Star Trek and didn't like it for the longest time because dad was always at work. And then when he was home, he was bringing it home. And and that creates a lot of tension inside somebody, which makes it easier to fall into things like drinking and smoking and have a harder time letting them go because you're not letting all these other things go. Makes a lot of sense. It really does. And, um, you know, you, you see it in so many people. And I think when you see somebody that's quote unquote famous go through it, it kind of pulls it all together for a lot of folks because um, no one's immune, you know, and everybody's got an, it, everybody's got a, an interesting path. And um, his was surely interesting. I, 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 we, we talk about, you know, sh- um, Nimoy becoming the ultimate shark, uh, after that experience. Um, and Shatner essentially, you know, living out of a truck, 
after after the series ended right. and trying to find me because he, he flies by the seat of his pants and that's that's him um you know there's there's so many different roads to rome but you would argue in the 70s anyway shatner disappeared and nimoy's profile came up quite mm. a bit um not you know but i mean in search of he was well known for invasion of the, the, the body snatchers yeah he was around you know he he was his presence was was felt you knew you knew he was there and, and he was doing different things uh and shatner you know is, you know the abc movie of the week kingdom of the spiders <laughs> yes, you know yes. wearing a cowboy hat or or whatnot and um and so you know it's it's funny the the pre-star trek how you know nimoy's trying to figure out you know earn a living all this stuff you've got you got william shatner who's you know he's going through life and i'm not saying he didn't struggle um i just don't think he plays it up very much Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's probably his way. He's just right. probably like, yeah, but you know, hey, you know, we all struggle. We got to get through there. Um, and it's funny, you know, I, I I get that too. But yeah, they they did they did switch a lot. Um, and then you know, in the eighties, how how together their popularity rose to, you know, unbelievable heights uh, through the movies. Just just incredible. And then, um, you know, it kind of. You know, for for Nimoy, it slows down again, and then for Shatner, it just kept going up and up. So it's like the the two of them are always at different parts of the X and the Y throughout their career, unless they're together. And so it was funny how all boats rise, you know, with with their tide when they're successful. Um, but how each individual, as an individual, their careers differed um, between Star Trek projects. It's incredible to me. Yeah, and then when they're in Nimoy's office and he has all this Star Trek memorabilia, it's funny. Shatner asked him like, "What do you What do you think of all this stuff?" And because <laughs> he has paintings, he has oh, there's our first TV guide over there. Got my Spockers over here. The USS Vulcan sent me a hat. He put it. I thought that was just the most adorable thing. Him putting on the hat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shatner's just laughing at him. He's like, "Oh my goodness!" And uh, it's a genuine question. I think Shatner's like, what, "What? Your entire house is devoted to Star Trek." Like that, that might have been the funniest line that I laughed at when he's talking about it in there. But but also, you know to kind of wrap it up here you know the kind of bittersweet ending in that same you know office there like at the end kind of the the post-credit scene during the credits like they have a moment there and they hug and Nemo's like you're my best friend and Shatner's like yeah if, if nothing else all this Star Trek stuff was worth it for this and you're like oh that's great all right but then you're like oh man because we know you live long enough to see yourself become the villain right to quote the Dark Knight not that that's exactly you know the case here but it's like man like I I wish of course we all do like they they either you know would have never had this rift or could have repaired it before the end and they didn't and and it makes me think about their conversation about the other cast members because you know Nebai says something like you know people have stuff that they don't share and it kind of you know festers up and to, to paraphrase right and that's kind of exactly what must have happened between the two of them so it very bittersweet because it's heartwarming but also heartbreaking to see this close loving bond between these two guys which was at the time was extremely genuine. Well, I think the good news is is that um, the friendship, you know, lasted a, a heck of a lot longer than, you know, the BS that kind of happened at the end, and that 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 wasn't like a long term thing. You know what I mean? It, it's just the timing's awful, and it's it's just like everybody says, and you know, I'm not going to get pathetic in any of these conversations when they say, well, you just never know, you know, if you you have a fight and then something tragic happens, it's like, you know, you should never leave angry and all that stuff. Um, who knows? It, it might have come full circle again. I think I think the weakness in, in a lot of people, and, you know, when I say that um, Nimoy became much more, um, you know, his business acumen was, was through the roof, 
and you know, if I remember right, the dispute was essentially, you know, Shatner using something without permission or a likeness for yeah. That you know, as a, I understand, it was, it was stock footage of him at of Nemo at a convention that Shatner used in one of his documentaries, and Nemo had asked him not to do it, and he did it. Shatner, of course, plays it down, but who knows, right? But to your point, it does stem, as we know, from a business. Uh, it's business thing. yeah and and it's 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 like the the two of them you know Shatner like I said he's that millionaire that wants to be a billionaire and and Nimoy became very focused on it I think because like a lot of people did from depression era you know it's like you can never have enough money and Nimoy worked every weekend you know he didn't really talk about it here as much but he was out doing promotional stuff all the time during Star Trek because he was worried that when the show ended he wouldn't have enough money to save before the next gig and Shatner's like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a star, you know. Uh, and and at the at the end of it, money got in between them, and the two of them, you know, will have more than most people could ever imagine or dream about. And that's kind of the tragic too, is mm-hmm. that it, you know, I I find fault in both, um, in in that case where you where you just say, you know, it, is it worth it, um, you know. One, Shatner should have been respectful of Nimoy's witness, uh, wishes. There's no doubt about that, right, wrong, or indifferent. But the scale of this thing for what they've been through for 50 years, really? You know, that's that, that's a bummer. But I, I think that had time gone on, um, hopefully uh, they, they would have reconciled because it, it wasn't huge. Uh, and, you know, they, they were leaving busy lives. Of course, obviously, um, Leonard was, was suffering a bit and uh, a bit, quite a bit. Uh, towards the end there but it is it is a shame that it was really essentially money or you know a business thing that that came between them and i think you know we, we it does it does make you pause and say okay what's really important here because that was the toughest thing about watching them was like i said watching them getting along and having a good time knowing that that should that should have been the way it ended and it didn't right and i think it's important that you note that it, it was only like a brief amount of time just terrible timing because it was like three or four years of kind of a rift between them, and you know, as all friendships kind of they have their ebbs and flows, as you said, Ken. Perhaps they would yep. come back together yep. when things have settled. So, I think it would have been figured out. But anyway, who knows? We don't. We, we'll never know. <laughs> I like to think that. I think that you know, eventually, egos aside, I don't think you know Leonard is is very. You know, he talked about, you know, having the dignity and he wanted Spock to be this, have this dignity to him. And I think that is just, you know, that's Leonard Nimoy in himself. And so, but there's still an ego, you know, and and so it was egos that got to it. But, you know, I, I can see his point of, of being upset given everything that happened during TOS with Gene Roddenberry using his images and he got very upset about that without permission. And, you know, all it would have taken was a phone call and, you know, and saying, Hey, can I do this? And yes or no. And Shatner should have respected that if he valued their friendship as much as, as he's, you know, clearly did. Um, you know, you don't do things like that just because your ego and, and you want to have something in something, you know, um, but I think that they probably would have both like their egos would have calmed down and I think their friendship would have would have reconnected and, and maybe not as been as great, but I think it would have come back. Um, like Zach was saying, ebbs and flows, you know, um, people connect, people disconnect, people connect again um, if, if you truly value the friendship that you've had with somebody. So 
Um, it was really fun to watch this. Thank you, Zach, for pointing this out to us and, and having this discussion about it. Absolutely. Yeah, this was a, a, a bittersweet watch, but uh, it's going to live on my shelf with all my other Star Trek documentaries, and I'm sure I'll revisit it from time to time as the years go on. Yeah, we'll we'll be sure to put the, the link for this YouTube um, video on, on the show notes so people can, can catch it if they haven't seen it. Yeah. Due to the wonders of the internet, it's also complete in its entirety available online for you to watch on YouTube for a limited time only. I don't know, but as of this recording, it's up there, but you never know. Uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the estate of Leonard Nimoy might find it and sue us all for watching it all. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Hadn't thought about that. But as of right now, it's on YouTube, so we'll make sure we share the link on the Babel Conference of where you can watch it. So, talking about this friendship that defined them both is not the only thing going on on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Earl Grey. Okay, that's excellent. And it'll be interesting to see how we interpreted the topic, because I know I may have interpreted it uh, maybe a little differently than others did. We'll see. Is this another time travel Thing. No, I was I was gonna say, no time travel for me as long as Jellico doesn't come into this. Sure, okay, that's we'll make okay. that deal then. Awesome. <laughs> I'm in. All right, literary treks, and you know the the stakes are are really big. You know, we'll we'll get there, but you know this Borg ship threatens Earth and all this kind of stuff, and it just feels like it, it's it's a lot of really comic booky over the top stuff that doesn't quite fit right with the novel that came before it and the novel that came after it, if that makes sense. <laughs> Primitive Culture, a look at history and culture through Star Trek. And Next Gen Arriving was, was this sort of, wow, wow, this is, looks incredible. I know when we look at sort of first season Next Gen now, what we're going is, wow, this is really slow and stagey. But in fact, it was, it was incredible. It was absolutely um, game-changing. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Only because I was watching little bits of Emissary recently is that he would see himself wearing that awful purple swimsuit and think, oh, God, I can't wear that. <laughs> Oh my god. Every time I see it, I'm like, whoa, I'm really glad I'm not wearing 24th century clothing. <laughs> if you wanted me to murder an entire society, fine. <laughs> but I'm not wearing that bathing suit. Too revealing. Oh. That's where I draw the line. <laughs> that's funny. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, you can get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MB3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trekfm contact and look at the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trekfm.com and click discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. 
If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, Dan Rhodes, and Mike Richards. Your contributions and support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So to find me on the interwebs, you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO. You can find me on Twitter at Trekkie01D. You can also hear me talking about both Discovery and the Orville over on the Fandom Podcast Network's Discoville podcast that drops every week. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Hold On To Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at Always Smallville with one S. I'm also the co-host of Franchise Fatigue, a podcast where we look at sequels, remakes, movie franchises, and when a franchise gets fatigued. You can find us on Twitter at UFP Earth, part of the United Federation of Podcasts. So thanks everyone for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. <laughs>